0: you'd all join me in prayer, Almighty Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day so blessed to be able to come worship you and understand your word. Even more, we ask for your guidance this day as we delve into your word. We look to you for all things. We ask for your healing too for those that are sick and cannot be here. And for all good things that you give us each day, we forget to thank you for and Onto you for. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, that you'll be with us in this service, that you will guide us always, and that you'll be with each of your people as they seek out the truth to learn more about you in these days. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. And you may be seated. Well, I'm glad to be back uh, from Margie's and my trip to the East Coast. They have a lot more weather out there than we do, by the way. Although we're catching up, you know. And uh, with today's weather and those that are under the weather, I thought maybe I was going to be the only one here, just to be the band, the, the moderator, and the speaker all wrapped up in one. Well, you don't want to hear me play any instrument, that's for sure. I couldn't even play that drum thing over there like, like Annika can. And, and even Aiden on the big drums, he does a great job. Some people have it, I don't. (laughs) You know, there's a problem in publishing that uh, never goes away. And the problem is plagiarizing, plagiarizing a written work, that is stealing from it. And in a former group that we were involved in, we had a magazine that we did not copyright. Sure enough. Some guy stole an article out of it, changed the names, changed a lot of the important essential teachings, and just emasculated it. You know, in our naivete, we never dreamed that somebody would do that. But yeah, as we know, even the Bible is not immune to this kind of treatment. Biblical scribes back in the second and third centuries would alter the text here and there, one word or maybe even a phrase when copying the manuscripts, either to match their beliefs or to boilerplate that text against heresies, people who would misuse them. Well fiddling with the text is you know for any reason is warned against both at both ends of the Bible, both in Deuteronomy four two and Revelation twenty two, eighteen to nineteen, we're commanded not to change, add to or take from the scriptures. One of the many reasons we publish the Restoration Study Bible is to point out and correct those things that have been manipulated, sadly, and that we want to get back to what the, the ancient language, like the Hebrew and Greek, say. So we publish a study Bible with lots of notes so people can check up on a questionable verse, something they don't understand. Um, <laughs> Brother Lucas was telling me just this week he, he got a, a message from somebody. And, uh, his, his first response was, why do you have that awful Bible? Why did you send me? Why did I buy this awful Bible? And then he came back, I don't know, a little while later and say, you know, I have to apologize. I actually opened the Bible. That's terrific. I've learned so many things from it. So, you know, all you got to do is open up your mind and, you know, give it a chance and, uh, not that we've done anything. This is just, a, you know, the result of many years of study, and so forth to uh, go back to Yahweh's truths that have been lost through the years. One of the reasons, of course, we do that is because people have changed things. You look at uh, Acts twelve four in uh, the King James, and uh, where they've changed Passover to Easter, or you find the scribal adding of of certain words, like in heaven in uh, Hebrews 10.34, to make it look like our destiny is in heaven. Well, the text doesn't even indicate that. As well as adding words to Paul's writings, like uh, 1 Corinthians 16.2, where they added day. Of course, it's an italic, so at least they were halfway honest, so you know that was an added word, to try to make Sunday worship, only eight places where it talks about the first of the week, they made day, first day of the week. Well, that makes, you know, Sunday worship when that's not there either. When you understand the backstory of the early assembly and, and see all the possibilities and all the influences that were going on back then, uh, error in the early years, you start to grasp the significance of and importance of Yahweh's word and how, what his people were up against to get it to us. You know, it's one thing to manipulate the word here and there. It's another entirely to introduce entirely different scriptures, different books that wear the mask of authenticity, but they're not inspired. And I'm talking about the Apocrypha, the the word that means hidden or obscure. I want to talk about that today because it's amazing. We still get people asking, what do you think about the Apocrypha? So I want to, put down maybe once and for all, maybe from now on I'll just say, just watch this DVD, maybe you can understand. But, uh, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of Yahweh. The question is, what's scripture? How can we know? How can you know what's scripture and what's not? The Apocrypha is a set of pseudo-scriptures, pseudo meaning false, found in the Latin Vulgate and Greek Septuagint, but you don't find it in the Hebrew texts. The books were accepted by the Catholics in time, but not at first, but not by the Jews or the Protestants. So you've got it, you know, in uh, the Jerusalem Bible and some of their other, I don't know if the Douay has it, but uh, they do have it there in the other Bible, but not, you won't find it in the King James, normally, anyway. The books generally recognized as constituting the Old Testament or the Old Apocrypha are those on the screen: First and Second Maccabees, Prayer of Manassas, First and Second Esdras, Tobit, Judith, Wisdom, Ecclesiasticus (also known as Sirach), Baruch, and the Epistle of Jeremy. Supplements to uh, Esther. Letters of Jeremiah, three additions to Daniel, the song of the three children, Susanna and the elders, destruction of Bel and the dragon. Now, this isn't all, but these are the major ones. When people talk about the apocrypha, that's what they're talking about. You know, some of these are kind of humorous you think about it. Jeremy? Where does that come from? Uh, Susanna, Bel, and the dragon? You know, even in, in the names of these things, he brings up all sorts of red flags. Sounds like something out of cartoons or something. Anyway, then there's the major apocrypha of the New Testament. You got the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Nicodemus, also called the Acts of Pilate, Gospel of Bartholomew, Gospel of Martian, Gospel of Judas, also called the Gospel of Judas Iscariot, Gospel of Mary, also called the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, Gospel of Philip, Gospel of Thomas, Acts of the various Apostles. The trend toward including these works as part of the scriptures didn't happen right away. It didn't happen like in the first century. In fact, it didn't happen until the year 354 to 430 at a council Trent. And the, a guy that pushed for it was named Augustine or Augustine, depending on how you want to pronounce that. The Catholic Church gleaned a lot from this guy. He was even has been called the, the father the father of Roman Catholicism because of so much of what he wrote was accepted by the church. His contributions to Catholic doctrine include infant baptism, perpetual virginity of Mary. Mary is the virgin. And the real presence of Yahshua in their Eucharist, which I call transubstantiation. When you take the wafer, you're actually taking the body. When you take the the vine, through to the vine, you're drinking his blood. Literally, they they teach. Came from this guy. He was never officially canonized, but was accepted as a saint early on by consensus. He's considered the patron saint of brewers, printers, theologians, and those with sore eyes. I don't know where that came from, but he's the patron saint of these. You know, they have saints for everything. If you've got a problem, you, you know pray to a saint. Uh, I think that just comes from polytheism but uh that's another story. And they observe his uh his feast day on August 28th but Augustine also admitted there was a definite difference between these outside books and the Bible. Well it doesn't take a scient uh scientologist what <laughs> something you know a rocket scientist to read that and compare it with things just sound different in these apocryphal books. The Jews rejected them because uh, they said there's no authenticity to the apocrypha. And if there were they'd recognize it, but they rejected it. The Jewish Council of Jamnia in the year 90 specifically excluded the apocrypha from the Hebrew canon. They deliberately said, no, we will not include it in the Hebrew canon of the inspired scriptures. That authority, we know, was given to them by Yahweh. When, when he says to the Jews who were entrusted the preserving of the Old Testament. Paul wrote about it, Romans 3, 1. He said, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of Yahweh. So if they say it's not so, I, I tend to believe them because Yahweh gave them the authority to say so. Because they kept the scriptures through all those years. Well, by oracles, Paul meant the actual words of Yahweh given to Moses. And the prophets in Acts 7.38, this is he that was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai with our fathers who received the lively oracles, utterances from Yahweh's mouth to give to us. Well, let's look at some uh, more evidence about uh, historically as well about the Apocrypha. Josephus, that early writer, that historian from the, around the time of Joshua. Never accepted them, the first-century historian said. For there are not with us myriads of books discordant and discrepant, but only two and twenty, which is equivalent to our thirty-nine books, because they used to combine First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicle. That was all one book. Well, they split them up after a while, and so we got the thirty-nine books. He's talking about those, comprising the history of all time, which are justly accredited. Another reason we don't accept the Apocrypha is that they were never quoted in the New New Testament. There's 250 quotations in the New Testament from the Old Testament, but never the Apocrypha. Not one original quotation of even one of the Apocryphal books is found in the New Testament. If they're to be part of the Hebrew canon, why is not a single one of them found there? Another thing that's even more interesting is that they're so full of contradictions. Whenever some false prophet sets a date for the return of Yahshua, you know, I know he's false. Yahshua's going to come back on April 2nd of this year. And I I say to myself, well, for one thing for sure, it's not going to happen April 2nd because no man knows, Yahshua said, when he's going to return, but Yahweh himself. Even the angels wonder about things like that. But people make these wild accusations or these wild uh, uh, prophecies and people believe it. They sit around, wait, think it's going to happen. So, you know, this, the Apocrypha are full of uh, mistakes, predictions that fail in prophesying. Lacking legitimacy, the Apocrypha at times contradicts the Bible and even themselves, which is even <laughs> really amazing. They're full of historical and geological inaccuracies, as well as errors in fact, mistakes in time, all showing that this could not have been inspired by Yahweh. Yahweh doesn't make mistakes. His word is inspired. And you can count on it. Each of these just shows a infallible man writing these books, not to the inspiration of Yahweh. There are all kinds of things going on in the early New Testament era. Heretics were abounding. They were copying, you know, so we read all these Gospels of this and that, Peter and all that made up, because that was the thing to do at that time. Oh, if they can do it, I can do it. So there's all sorts of heretics running around, writing their own books. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Self-proclaimed prophets were going around at the same time. Writers wanting a piece of the evangelistic pie. Maybe I can start a group. <clears throat> it even happened in Joshua's day. <clears throat> and uh, Joshua says, don't worry about it. You know. The, Disciples got upset. What are they talking about you? They're saying, listen, I said, hey, if it's not true, it'll fall apart. So they were all trying to start their own thing. So no wonder so many doctrines and teachings kind of shook out and why we have so many different doctrines and teachings now. I want to get down to the nitty-gritty and take a look at a few of the apocryphal books, discover why they're classified as bogus. You got the book of Tobit or Tobias. I guess that's the Grecianized version. It's about a pious Jew who is deported to Nineveh. It's estimated to be from the third century BCE. This is before the New Testament, of course. Tobit has a serious chronological flaw, among other problems. It says Tobit saw the revolt of the northern tribes in 997 BCE and was on the scene when the tribe of Naphtali was deported to Nineveh, 740 BCE. That would mean he lived 257 years. But Tobit 14, 1-3 says his age was 102 when he died. Why the mistake? Not inspired. The book of Baruch has some factual anomalies. So that in his preface to the book of Jeremiah, Jerome said, I have not thought it worthwhile to translate the book of Baruch. Of course, Jeremiah, uh, uh, Jerome, of course, did the Latin uh, version of the Bible. He didn't even want to mess with it. He knew it was false from day one. In Judah, things really get wacky. Why don't they just call her Judy? You know, <laughs> I don't know. These, these crazy names that, I don't know where they, anyway, it really gets crazy. Events are said to have occurred during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar who was called the king who reigned over the Assyrians in the great city of Nineveh. Wait a minute. We talked about that in the Bible study today. Nebuchadnezzar didn't reign over Nineveh. He wasn't Assyrian. Babylonian. That's in Judith 1, 1 and 7. The fact is he was never king of Nineveh because Nineveh was destroyed by his father, Nabopolassar. Furthermore, the introduction to the, in the Jerusalem Bible notes that the itinerary of Officer Holofernes is a geographical impossibility. Another proof something isn't right. A case of mistaken lots of things is found in the Book of Wisdom. Certain texts in this book present Solomon as its author, like in 9, 7, 8, and 12. I don't think you'll ever want to go look it up, but. Uh, if you want to. The Jerusalem Bible states that this is a literary device, something added by a writer, because wisdom, the book of wisdom, cites passages of scripture written centuries after Solomon died. How would that happen? It wasn't inspired. Also in wisdom are advanced the erroneous doctrines of the immortality of the soul in 223, 324, as well as the preexistence of human souls in 819 and 915. Wisdom of Solomon 1117 states that G.D. created the world out of formless matter. When the Bible says he created the world out of nothing. They also, uh, Judith and Tobit, contain many uh, historical, chronological, and geographical errors in them. Probably the most valuable of the Old Testament Apocrypha are the uh, books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees, which is basically a history of what happened between the Testaments. Uh, no, no problem. I, I, I think I can uh, read those with some authority. But that, they don't change doctrine that I know of. They basically talk, it's a historical book. And that's another thing. You know, these apocryphal don't, I've never seen them add anything to what we already know about Yahweh's plan of salvation. There's nothing, nothing, nothing new. Lots of bad things, wrong things, but nothing new when it comes to our salvation. With the advent of the New Testament, you got new apocryphal works popped up like Blossoms in April, and there are about 50 spurious gospels besides the apocryphal acts and the epistles, 50 of them that we know of. There's probably others, (laughs) written written mostly in the beginning in the 2nd century, they imitated works like the Evangels, Acts, Letters of Paul, and so forth, and Revelation. They're part of an attempt to fill in the gaps, purposely left open by inspired New Testament writers. For example, to picture Joshua as a capricious child performing miracles at whim with supernatural powers like, like some kind of superhero. Of the latter apocryphal works, the interpreter's dictionary of the Bible says many of them are trivial, some are highly theatrical, some are disgusting, even loathsome. This is in the interpreter's dictionary of the Bible. These fake works were excluded from the New Testament for the same way the Hebrew canon was kept Here of the older apocryphal. They weren't legit, and the people knew it. It's claimed that Muhammad actually got some of his ideas about Christianity from these apocryphal works. Boy. And they're also the origin of some of the dogmas, like we said, of the Roman Catholic Church. Here's a, a glimpse of some of the apocryphal works appearing in New Testament time. The New Testament, quote-unquote, apocrypha. Gospel of Nicodemus, a purely imaginary report on the trial of Joshua to the emperor Tiberius in the 2nd or 5th century. I'm not sure about that one. Passing of Mary, silly miracles ending with the removal of her spotless and precious body to paradise, written in the 4th century at the rise of virgin worship. Nativity of Mary, deliberate forgery in the 6th century to further worship Virgin Mary. Stories about daily visits of angels to Mary, immensely popular as the papacy grew. The Gospel of the Egyptians, imaginary conversations between Yahshua and Salome, Salome 130 to 150. The Gospel of Pseudo Matthew, at least the name is honest, isn't it? A 5th century forged translation of Matthew, abounding with suppressed childhood miracles, or supposed childhood miracles of Yahshua, again. Uh, the Gospel of Thomas, 2nd century work on about Yahshua's life in the fifth to the twelfth year. He makes him a miracle worker to satisfy his boyish whims. The Apocalypse of Peter, visions of heaven and hell granted to Peter, called Spurious by Eusebius, who was an early historian, wrote a lot about the New Testament era. The Old Testament apocrypha consists of 11 or 12 books, depending upon how they're divided, divided, that the Roman Catholic Church adds to the Old Testament. The Protestants rejected all these books as holy scriptures for the following reasons. They have different doctrines and practices than what the Bible teaches. Like the doctrine of purgatory. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says, where does purgatory fit into that? That you die, but you don't really die. You go midway between earth and heaven in a place called purgatory. Or you suffer for the sins that you did till someone pays or prays you out of it. I'm not totally sure on that Catholic doctrine, but uh, that's from the apocryphal book. Then there's the Book of Baruch, teaching that Yahweh hears the prayers of those who died. Hear now, quote. Hear now, the prayer of the dead of Israel, the children of those who sinned before you, who did not heed the voice of the master of their ell, so that. Calamities have clung to us. That's in Baruch 3 4. The doctrine of the preexistence of souls is found in the Apocrypha. Preexistence of souls. I once talked to a, a Mormon, and he said, he was explaining this to me. He says, Yeah, we believe that you actually started out in heaven, then you came down to earth and lived down here and whatever, and you're, you know, you're going back to heaven. I said, Well, how come you don't? Remember that if you were up there at one time. Well, there's a veil that was pulled over and we can't see past that or think past that. Or... So oh, that's interesting. But that's where the doctrine uh, was taught in the Apocrypha. It says in Wisdom 8, 19, and 20, as a child I was naturally gifted. And a good soul fell to my lot. Oh, I'm just sitting around. A good soul came down. Being good, I entered an undefiled body. Huh, not interesting. The doctrine of creation out of preexistent matter is taught in the Apocryphal, as we we mentioned. The the Apocryphal say the body weighs down the soul. Now we're getting into Gnostic teachings where the physical is bad, the spiritual is good. You don't want to... The, the Gnostics didn't want anything to do with the physical world if they could help it. They, they, didn't, they thought it was evil. So here we got one where uh, the, the, the body is weighed down, uh, weighing down the soul. Uh, wisdom, 915, for a perishable body weighs down the soul, and this earthly tent burdens the thoughtful mind. So uh, it's, it's just uh, it's something that you don't want. You don't want the, the body. It's nothing more than Gnosticism, where the physical is evil. The Apocrypha is never cited in the New Testament Scripture. Even though the New Testament cites directly or alludes to almost every Old Testament book mentioned as Scripture, it never cites the Apocrypha as being Yahweh's Word. Although Yahshua and his apostles often quoted the Old Testament, they never quoted the Apocrypha. Why not? Something is rotten in Denmark. Allusions are not the same as scripture. And there are allusions in the apocryphal books like Jasher uh, and and the prophecy of uh, Enoch in the New Testament. It does mention Jasher and Enoch in the New Testament. There's no direct quotation connected to it. Is it just talking about the man or is it talking about a book or not? It, it, It doesn't say. An allusion is not the same as a direct quote anyway. In fact, look at the RSV on Enoch in, in Jude 1.14. It explains it. Furthermore, no book of the Apocrypha is mentioned by name in the New Testament, not even Enoch. If the writers of the New Testament consider the Apocrypha to be scripture, we would certainly expect them to refer to it in some way. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say that you know, if it's legitimate, there'd be some kind of reference? But no direct quotations. The Apocrypha has always been rejected by the Jews of Scripture, and as we mentioned, they would not accept it. They never considered those works to be inspired. In fact, they denied their authority. Flavius Josephus, or Josephus, as I've heard people say, maybe that's closer to his name, said there were only 22 inspired books of the Old Testament. He didn't add any more, which is equivalent to our 39 The Septuagint translation proves nothing. The fact that the Apocrypha is found in the Septuagint translation doesn't prove anything. It merely testifies that the Alexandrian Jews translated other religious material into the Greek apart from the Old Testament scripture. A Greek translation is not the same thing as a book that's part of the Hebrew canon. Few of the early leaders of the church accepted some of the books of the Apocrypha as scripture. Some of them did, but the majority, most of the big name church leaders did not accept them like Athanasius, Origen, and Jerome to name a few. In fact, many of the big church leaders spoke out against the Apocrypha. Jerome, as we said, rejected it as scripture. He didn't, He refused to put it in his Latin translation. It was only after his death that the Apocrypha was placed into the Vulgate, the official translation of the Roman Catholic Church. His his expert testimony was just ignored. Then there is historical er errors that we have shown. Uh, It's possible for Bible scholars using the most up-to-date archaeological knowledge, you know, We've, we've increased our knowledge through archaeology of Scripture and places and so forth that have really helped clarify a lot of things. It's possible for those scholars using these more up-to-date uh, archaeological finds to defend the historical accuracy of the books of the Bible. But it's not possible to argue for the historical accuracy of the Apocrypha. There is sub-biblical content in the books of the Apocrypha. The content of the books of the Apocrypha is below that of canonical scripture. Some of the books, including Judith, Tobit, Susanna, and Bell and the Dragon, read like legends. Someone's just kind of writing, you know, just going along. And you read these books along scripture, and the difference is just obvious. You can see Yahweh's hand in scripture, but you can see a man's hand in the Apocrypha. They don't contain anything like predictive prophecy or the first-hand testimony of miracles that would would give evidence of their divine authority. It's not there. Stuff that really matters isn't there. If Yahweh inspired these books, then we should expect to see some evidence, internal evidence in the Apocrypha for that. But there is none. The issue as to which books belong in the Holy Scripture is more than a historical issue. The books of the Bible are divinely inspired, revealed of Yahweh. These other books are not. There's, no, there's not been any error found in the, in the Bible. It's never been proven wrong in anything. Oh, people try to make it so. They'll, they'll go along and they'll, they'll try to twist something or misunderstand something historically and say, oh, see, it's wrong. You can buy those books, you know, all the errors of the Bible. None of them hold water at all. And they've all been proven wrong. Well, look at let's look at the for a quick review. If you want to show your apocryphal believing reading friends uh, a good list, here it is. Unlike the Scriptures, none of the apocryphal writers claims to be inspired. Unlike the Old Testament, the apocryphal are nowhere quoted in the New. The apocryphal are tainted with errors. In fact, in time, exposing their uninspiration. Yahweh doesn't make mistakes the apocrypha contain crazy mistakes which not only contradict the canonical scriptures but also themselves for example in the books of maccabees the book of maccabees Antiochus epiphanes is made to die three different deaths in three different places the apocrypha include doctrines and variances with the bible such as prayers for the dead as we mentioned advocated in second maccabees 12:45 which is in direct opposition to luke 16:25 and hebrews 9:27 They talk of sinless perfection and immortality of the soul. The apocryphal of Judith 9.10 even has Yahweh assisting Judith in a lie. How about that? They were never acknowledged as sacred scriptures. Not one of the apocryphal books is written in the Hebrew language, which was used by all the inspired writers of the Old Testament. It's all in Greek, or sometimes, I think there's one, in Latin. No Hebrew. That's a fundamental proof right there. In fact, they weren't even accepted for the first four centuries of the common era. 400 years! You know, that's pretty amazing. Not until the Council of Trent in 1545... Were they accepted by the Roman Catholic Church? Fifteen hundred years to figure out what should be in your Bible? Oh my! Something's rotten, and not only in Denmark, but in Rome, uh, everywhere that uh, these things have been accepted. It's just amazing. Something's very fishy when you can't figure out the legitimacy of what should be in your in your in the Bible you you follow. It just. Uh, It's just totally amazing. Well, you know, when you go into it and you get dig into it, uh, if if you have the time and the willingness to really search this out, to really, you know, find out what the truth is, unless there's something wrong with the way you, you think, you can't accept these spurious works. You just can't. And the Bible has been proven true all the way through thousands of years thousands of years that is accurate that it is Yahweh's. We can trust his prophecies. Nothing that it's prophesied has ever not been fulfilled. If it's prophesied for a certain time, we even have prophecies in the scriptures that show that that prophecy was fulfilled. And so, you know, when you look at the Bible and you look at what's false, there's so much out there. I don't think people realize in the first few centuries. They think that the apostles' teachings just flowed over seamlessly into the New Testament church. Everything was fine. On virtually every point there were problems. Every point. And they hashed things out. Why do you think they called 20-some councils to figure out doctrine? They they, they made up a lot of this stuff. And that these people, even heretics, got involved in some of the doctrines. And why do you need those if you're going to follow the Bible? you don't have to have all these councils to hammer out, but you know when you got Constantine trying to make an empire, a political empire, wanting his people all to be happy and get along, then we've got to have the same doctrines and not opposing teachings so let's have a council we'll figure out what we're going to believe, and we'll have peace and harmony in the in the empire, which of course didn't happen but uh you know there's there's all sorts of th- Stuff going on. I mean, it just, it's just amazing. But you know Yahweh's truth is, is the same from Genesis through Revelation. We don't have to worry about extra stuff, you know, extra teachings. If we can't even, you know, people talk about, well, you, you know, do you keep uh, Hanukkah and you keep I mean, all the holidays? You know what? They're interesting, but we have enough trouble getting people to keep what's commanded in the Bible, not these spurious other things out there that uh, the Jews do, we have people who don't understand the feast days. And I'm going to go out and, and push some of these other things and just ignore Now it doesn't work. You've got you to preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. So that's what we try to do here at this ministry. We try to preach the word as Yahweh has commanded. And uh, he'll take care of the rest. May Yahweh bless you.